Hello, everyone, and good morning. Welcome to episode 123 of the Your Money, Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Delano Sapporo. We are back for another episode this week. Thank you for tuning in. And of course, you know our formalities before we get into the episode. Make sure you like, subscribe, review, five-star rate the podcast wherever, whatever platform, whatever DSP you're listening. I can't believe it's already Thursday. I feel like this week has kind of flown by. Well, it feels kind of like Saturday to me. It feels like Saturday to me, actually. Uh, ready for the weekend and to get to relax. We haven't even talked about the NBA Finals. I don't know if anybody's been watching it, but the NBA Finals has been going crazy. Um, but yeah, we'll get into all of that. Make sure you like, subscribe, and five-star review. Let's get into the episode. What a week, what a week, what a week. A lot of stuff in the news, but let's first get to the markets, um, which have been... Not as volatile as the past. Um, we're seeing a little bit of a rise in yields um, and a, kind of just a little bit of movement in the equities market. Uh, people are saying that now, they're, everyone's saying, hey, possible recession, will it come, will it not? The market, I think, is is obviously a leading indicator. So, you know, we've seen a pullback, but we've seen actually a recovery over the last couple of weeks here in the markets, um, just based on maybe valuations, buyers coming in. You saw a lot of retailers say um, things have been tough on their margins. They bought inventory that consumers really didn't want. You're actually seeing a crack also in the housing market. Prices, one, I think there was a stat that said one in five sellers of their house had to lower their prices because as rates rise, you're seeing less people have that demand is starting to slow down a little bit in that crazy housing market. So you're seeing a little bit of that. Right now, we're about flat to a little bit lower on the day on Thursday in the markets, um, which is kind of, yeah, kind of to be expected as of right now. Calm day, calm day. And it's actually generally been a relatively calm week in the markets so far. So let's jump in to news of the week. And Apple, they had their big conference, which I just always catch the highlights, but there's some Apple stands that make sure they see every bit of what's going on. But the big, one of the big items that came out of it was Apple's now announcing a buy now, pay later platform for Apple Pay and wherever Apple Pay is accepted. If those don't know who, what buy now, pay later is, it's pretty much installment payments. Um, Affirm, Klarna are some of the more popular platforms. But pretty much if you're going to buy an item, any consumer item, if you're online or shopping, you're able to just buy it now and pay it later in installment payments. Sometimes these installment payments may have zero interest, may have zero fees. Other times they may have high interest and high fees. Um, but it's been booming in the last several couple year or two um, as consumers are consuming, of course, and people may not have the cash for things that they're buying, which I would never, I've never used buy now, pay later, but some people like it. Um, and it's, you got to assess your personal finances to understand if that's right for you. But Apple announced it. These will, they'll do it on their platform. It's going to be a feature on Apple Pay. It's going to be called Apple Pay Later. And it marks their initial leap into this financial model. They're going to, let people break up their purchase into four equal installments. They've kind of been doing that, I guess, with the iPhone already. And it's going to be available anywhere Apple Pay is accepted. Um, so instead of using your credit card, you can just do Apple Pay later. Man, I don't, this is scary, actually. Now that I'm like saying it out loud, this is scary for people that have issues and impulsiveness when it comes to buying things that they want. This is kind of scary. Uh, the amount of 
debt you could rack up doing this. You got to be you got to be careful. Let's look at some of the pros for people. Convenient. If you're disciplined with the way you pay stuff off, you can. It's convenient. There's zero interest. There's low interest. You don't have to have a high credit score to necessarily qualify. Uh, but what are the cons? Sometimes the payments can be hard to track. You miss or late missing or late payments, late fees, and they could damage your credit score um, as well. And no rewards or cash back on purchases as in in comparison to credit cards, which have those. Um, and so this is something that's going to be coming down the pipe much, much more. Um, you'll have to watch out for this. In other news, let's go to sports. We can talk finals as well. LeBron James at 37. He's the first active NBA player to make the Forbes billionaire list. Yes, LeBron James racks in more than $1.2 billion in pre-tax earnings. Um, and yeah, they're saying he's a billionaire. So let's look at the break it down. They're saying he has more than $500 million in cash and investments. He obviously has Spring Hill Entertainment, which is his entertainment company. Beats by Dre. Um, he, I guess he was one of the people that invested in Beats by Dre that was sold to Apple in 2014. He has 90 million in interest from Fenway Sports Group. He's one of the. Uh, he was one time a minority owner of Liverpool FC, and he exchanged that for one percent ownership in Fenway Sports Group. He has about 80 million in real estate holdings, um, a 10 million dollar mansion in Akron. Oh, 10 million in, Ad- in Akron is like how much? That's probably like half of Akron. <laughs> $10 million in Akron um, and two homes in Los Angeles for a combined $60 million. Um, and he also has an interest in food and beverages. Yes, Blaze Pizza. You've probably seen him on some online commercials or whatnot. But he, yes, he's an owner in Blaze Pizza. He bought a 10% stake for less than $1 million in 2012, and it's now supposed to be valued at $30 million. Those private market, a lot of this is private market stuff. He has public market equities, of course. Everyone has, they should have stock market and, and equities in the stock market. Uh, purchases of, of stocks in the equity market and public markets, but he also has private interests. And that's a big thing that we'll see with a lot of wealthy people. Their private business interests are really the ones that hold a lot of their net worth, right? Um, And so you're seeing that here. And congrats to him. We commemorate him as one of the people that is one incredible role model. We didn't talk about what he's been doing with um, his foundation, his school, um, just sort of role model, what he did with bringing up the people he was grew up with, like Maverick Carter. And Rich Paul was an agent that he met outside of his high school games. These are people he grew up with, and he created a team that is doing amazing things and is the first active NBA player to become a billionaire. That is crazy. We have to really, really acknowledge that as as, um, something that is incredible to do and something that we may not see for a while, like a, a long time. Um, just an incredible, credible feat from an incredible person. So that's, that is really, really impressive. In other news, we're seeing information. Roku shares jumped 10% on a report that it might be a takeover target for Netflix. Some people think that Roku could be attractive to Netflix as it preps its own ad-based streaming tier. Interesting. So, there's a lot of talk inside internally in Netflix, um, and people are thinking, hey, this might be an opportunity. Um, that is incredible. 
So we're seeing that. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of like if that's a good fit. I don't know if it's the best fit. Roku is a big hardware play. Netflix is obviously a streaming platform that stepped away from really hardware and doing the DVDs and different things. I don't know. I don't see it that much, but I have to dig into the numbers more. Um, but Roku jumped on that news. And big news. A mile high, a mile high NFL deal. Walmart heir Rob Walton is buying the Denver Broncos for a reported $4.6 billion. That's a record for an American sports franchise. The purchase is expected to be approved by the fall. So Rob Walton, the Walmart heir, he's the, he's the son, I believe, of the founder of Walmart. He's over 70 years old. He's buying the Denver Broncos for a reported $4.6 billion. Folks, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest purchase in a while. I think the next, the Carolina, the Carolina Panthers were sold in 2018 to David Tepper, who's a hedge fund guy, for $2.3 billion. That was previously the most paid for a North American sports franchise. Um, the New York Mets were sold in 2020, and they were purchased by Steve Cohen for $2.475 billion. And then we have this. Four, they're going to the $4 billion club. Wow. You've got that's that's incredible. The four billion club, four point six five, almost pushing five billion. Um, he's the heir, um, Walmart heir. You know that's the type of people we're we're talking about. When we're talking about buying sports franchises. Um, is is that that type of of, of glorified heir really? Um, so that is incredible. We'll have to watch out for that closing. This had to go through approvals from the and other owners, other you know, red tape to get through. Um, but that is incredible. And we'll keep our eyes on that, on that news. In other news, employees at Traders Joe's in Western Massachusetts have filed for union which would become the first unionized Trader Joe's in the country. Man, a lot of employer employees are going to the union route. They want to unionize, and it's a scaring employers. They're trying to figure out how they can get robots up and running faster to lower their costs. In a retailer news, Target said it would take a profit hit as it cancels orders and marks down profits products to move excess inventory. Retailers from Walmart to Gap are purging products that were hot during stay-at-home. So a lot of people said, hey, we bought a lot of the wrong products. And now we're going to shift because consumers don't like this anymore. We're going to shift this a little bit. And it's going to hurt margins for a little. It's going to hurt profits. It's going to hurt earnings. So be aware. And Target dropped on that news. Another stock that dropped, BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed stock lost more than a third of its value after the company's pre-IPO lockup agreement expired. The media business is not only valued at $300 million compared to the $1.5 billion when it went public last year. So, of course, you guys know what BuzzFeed is, that media organization. But a lockup period is usually a period for when insiders, the people that had shares prior to the, to the company going public, to the retail market, to you guys, um, they have an agreement that they can't sell the shares within a certain time frame. It's usually like 90 days, maybe 180 days. Um and once that lockup period was ended, everyone dumped their shares and the stock just tanked like to 40%. Um, and remember, retailers, people that just like love IPOs because it's an IPO and they don't think about what the business actually is, they bought this company at a $1.5 billion valuation. Now it's worth $300 million. So you just got 
left holding the bag while the value was sucked out of it. Um, unfortunate. Unfortunate. We'll keep our eyes on that news. That's a lot of news. So much is going on. Of course, the Tesla and Elon Musk, if you saw the post, shout out to CNBC. I was able to do a little quick timeline breakup of what's going on with the Elon Musk and Twitter deal. Make sure you go check it on CNBC on Instagram, the TikTok, the Twitter. It's all over uh, their, their, their feed as well as mine. Um, and show that link some love as we're going to continue to do more stuff with my partnership with them. Wow, a lot of news. Oh, we didn't get to the finals. Okay, NBA finals. We are uh, Boston's up two one. Whoever who did who to thunk? I thought the Warriors were going to take this one, not with ease, but they were going to be you know leading the pack the whole way of this series. They're not. I have a bet with my friend Craig on this that the Warriors will beat Boston. So we'll have to keep watching. Last game was a easy Boston. Boston took it at home. First game at home. Now we got to go Friday. We're going to have another game in Boston. I think the Warriors take that one. Steph Curry, Steph Wardell, Curry isn't done yet. But Boston looking strong. That defense is nothing to play with, folks. That defense is nothing to play with. NBA Finals are great. We got football coming up. Training camp coming up soon. Shout out to my players in training camp soon. Let's go to the next segment now. Hey everyone, welcome back. And we're in, well, you've stayed with us. You didn't even go anywhere. I took a little slight break um, because I had a meeting and I'm back recording because I love it. And I love speaking to all of you. That's another thing. There's been people that are listening for over two years, folks, since we started this. If I think of the podcast that I've listened to for three, four, five years, it's an incredible bond. You feel like you know the podcast hosts. And I feel like people feel like they know me and I hope so. We've changed throughout the years. We've learned. We've grown. I tweeted about that, actually. Just what I've seen with my almost over 400 client families um, over the past few years is we've seen pandemic, a pandemic. You've seen bull markets, bear markets, new jobs, growing families, just a crazy amount of things, uh, which is really, really cool to see. And there's much more to come, much more good times ahead. That's not what I want to talk about on the roundtable. It's got off on a tangent, which I always love. I want to talk about execution. So we were talking about doing a case study on Tesla and um, the CEO of Tesla, which is obviously Elon Musk. We were talking about the company itself and what it's done in the past few years. If you look about, think about it, the stock has jumped, has a stock performance of over 1,604% over the past few years compared to this broader market, the S&P, which is only 42%. Ford, a competitor, 27%. And GM, General Motors, another competitor, only 4%. So what what was different with Tesla versus these other, the broader market and, and these other companies? And, and we really landed on execution. Like execution is a big thing. So I want to talk about execution because I love strategizing, ex- executing a, a goal. But how do you do it? A lot of people don't know. I think that's what holds a lot of people back is like they don't know how to execute something. They have all these plans, but how do you actually do them? Whether they're big, whether they're small. So I wanted to look at, and I'm looking at something from Harvard Business School and what they said and the ways to execute a plan. And one thing was, the first thing was commit to it. And that's easy for me because I'm a super obsessive person, but you have to commit to the plan of action. Make sure that you have all the things needed to make sure to, to make the plan go well. 
That's the next thing. Align jobs, align your skills to the strategy. So if it's a one-person thing, align your skills to the strategy. If it's a multiple-people thing, align your jobs and the people's jobs that you're working with to the strategy. If you're working with a team, most people work with a team on something. So you want to align those jobs to the strategy. Next thing, communicate clearly. Communication is clear. Like that's whether it's in sales, if you're selling to something to someone, how do you communicate this to your the, your product, your service, to people that need to hear it? How do you communicate this clearly? How do you communicate to your team members, to your employees? Communication is something that I'm always working on. I've gotten a lot better at it, but I still have more to go. But it's something that we can all all work on. Measure and monitor your performance. I always do that. How are you growing? How's your strategy execution doing? What stage are you at? Is it numericals that you put down like I want to do X per month? Or is it, you know, just seeing benchmarks being reached? But have a record that shows what's going on and how it's doing. Next thing is balance innovation and control. Innovation is good, but if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like if it's not broke, don't fix it. I've I like that a lot. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, so that's another thing. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So folks, I hope this is helpful in aligning your strategy and your plan and tips to execute it because we all need help on executing what we're trying to do. No one knows everything. We can all learn and grow together as one. And I'm glad we're doing it here on the Your Money, Your Life podcast. So thank you for listening to this episode this week. We'll talk next week.